Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Canis Hoopers family. We're coming to you today after another Timberwolves loss, 123-116 to the Denver Nuggets. Once again, I'll be doing this as a solo show. I, I explained last time that the solo shows will probably be coming a bit more often, especially with... Uh, work starting over here in Australia and, and kind of struggling to get guests to, to fit the time zone. So I, I will be getting a guest every weekend or trying to anyway, but for the post-game shows, the week the weekday post-game shows, we will be doing it solo most of the time. Um, you probably know the go by now if you've listened to these that we're going to go through the bad stuff from the game and the good stuff. Um, start with the bad stuff and then, and then end with some positive notes. Um, Jumping straight into it, I think that the, the the first bad note that I had here was was the runs that that Denver went on and the runs I guess that every team has gone on since Anthony Towns went down. It, it's kind of been the biggest uh, bugaboo of these last few games and, and really the season as a whole. No matter how hard the Wolves play or how well they look for for short periods, they aren't going to win these winnable games if they continue to have these dysfunctional stretches. Uh, obviously. Two big runs stand out in this game. It's it's the first one to start the game. It puts Minnesota behind the eight ball massively. They they get down to seventeen points, I believe, in in the end. You know, and then just to come back, they have to expend a ton of energy, and, and that kind of catches up with them in the fourth quarter, where where Denver do the same thing as they did last game and and really put the game to bed within four or five minutes of that of that final term. Uh, the one. The one that really stood out to me wasn't actually one of those two runs. It, it was the one in the third quarter, and that was when Minnesota were actually up by eight points at that at that point. Um, the defense for, for Minnesota was still looking pretty solid, and Denver was still missing shots, and, and the Wolves just couldn't capitalize, and that really cost them. I think first it was, it was a Jarrett Culver traveling call that started the rot, and then Malik Beasley missed back-to-back open three-point looks, and then Jared Vanderbilt ended the horrid little stretch by by missing two free throws. Uh, you make a few of those makeable buckets, and all of a sudden that lead is 12 or that lead is 14 instead of eight, and that's a big, big difference. That's the difference in the Nuggets feeling like they're in striking distance still or, or feeling like the game's got away from them, and the mentality in that is just so important, and I know that it's... It doesn't stand out, doesn't jump off the screen the same way that that first quarter run does or, or the last quarter run, which are both equally as important and equally as damaging, I think, in the outcome of the game. But that's the one where where you win the game. That that run that they missed out on going on or they let they let Denver come back in, uh, that's the one that really hurts for me. Uh, it, it's an easy-to-overlook kind of little mishap. 
but these are the things that you need to get right if you want to break out of a losing streak. And tonight, I just thought that they weren't able to capitalize. They need to hit those open shots. They need to be able to put their foot on the neck of teams when they get when they get in the position to do so. And tonight, they just couldn't do that, and they haven't been able to do that for the entire four games. Uh, they haven't had many chances to do so in the, in the, these four, four or five games now, five-game losing streak. But tonight, they got the chance, and they couldn't capitalize on it, and, and it came back to haunt them in the end. And obviously, um, they walk out of the arena with a seven-point loss. Moving on, uh, um, I'm going to power through these because I don't want to sit here and ramble for too long and, and make you guys listen to this this Aussie accent with, with no guest. Uh, to back me up, but we'll move through these bad ones pretty quickly. And I think one thing that was drenched all over the Twitter timeline and, and kind of really obvious when you were watching the game was the the non Jared Vanderbilt center minutes. Uh, I can't say I expected to be complaining about the, those kind of you know non Vanderbilt minutes heading into this game, especially Vanderbilt pretty much out of the rotation and struggling to to crack into it even know that he did uh, play some really good garbage time minutes throughout this this little five-game losing streak. But tonight, obviously, he did break into that rotation and, and he was awesome. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But, man, it, it was a shambles when he sat. Uh, I think in what has become kind of the norm this season, Ed Davis was, was fairly pedestrian. I think he's fine as a third-string center and, and even as a backup on some nights just due to the fact that He's a really good screener, uh, especially for a pick-and-roll heavy point guard like D'Angelo Russell, and he's still a pretty darn good offensive rebounder, but he's a non-factor on offense, and he really is just a, a spacing killer. So I, I thought Ed Davis didn't really play horrendous by his standards tonight. I think he just kind of did what he's done all season. He was a good rebounder, like I said, a good screen setter, like I said. He's He's been very foul-prone defensively. He clearly knows where to be in pick-and-roll defense, but he's very reachy. Um, very jumpy for blocks. It just seems like he's a little bit out of rhythm and, and sometimes over eager to make a make an impact in the, in the the pick and roll defense. So I just think that was more of the same tonight. I, I thought that he's kind of a guy who can maybe survive playing ten to fifteen minutes, but anything more than that, and, and you're kind of putting yourself at a disadvantage. Uh, however, Davis's average game was was compounded by the fact that Nasri played perhaps his worst professional game for the Timberwolves in this one. He was pretty much just there for his minutes in the first three quarters. He didn't really stand out or, or do anything uh, good or bad, I guess. Uh, a few probably defensive mishaps and, and maybe a few uh, nice things offensively, but he really didn't stand out at all in those first three quarters. And then Ryan Saunders tries to pinch some some non-Vanderbilt minutes with him to start the fourth. I think it was about four minutes. And he's just had an absolute nightmare stretch. There was there was multiple t- defensive uh, really bad defensive efforts on Jokic who who just babied Reed uh, took him into the post uh, hit him with the spin moves hit him with the drop step obviously Nikola Jokic is a very tough cover for even the best centers in the league and and this dude can can burn any center in the league when he's on his game and he was on his game tonight um, but but Reed really just made matters worse by turning the ball over offensively there was. Some bad, just some really bad screen setting. Um, a few terrible decisions on when to shoot and when not to. He had that face up where he tried to to spin on, on Jokic and get to the rim instead of just kind of keeping the ball moving, which is which is how Minnesota got into a winning position to begin with. Was the ball movement and that stopped 
in the fourth quarter, at the start, especially at the start of the fourth quarter. And, and that was kind of the reason why, why Denver was able to, to make a run without any resistance from the Timberwolves offensively. And Nas Reed was a was a big part of that. I thought, as I as I mentioned just before, the the screen setting that that he had, there was a there was a few offensive fouls, and then when he wasn't being called for offensive fouls, he was just setting screens that did no favors to to Anthony Edwards and to Ricky Rubio, who were who were demanding ball screen actions, and they just couldn't get any space because Nas was just slipping or rolling out of those picks way too early, not making any body contact, not giving his guards any kind of space to work with. And I just, it's tough because last game I was I was raving about how good Nas Reed was and tonight I thought he was awful. And it, it's it's tough. He, he's obviously an undrafted center in his second season. He's barely in his second season. He hasn't, he hasn't played more than 50 games for his career um, and obviously still trying to learn the ropes of, the NBA, of NBA basketball. And then you throw him out there in a close game in the fourth quarter against the best center in the league and things get really rough for him and maybe it's understandable but but we saw him play really well against Jokic last game so that's why I was a little bit disappointed with with the way Nas played and I just think he wasn't there mentally and that really showed up and with a guy who who's clearly not as skilled as a, as a Jokic or even a, a starting center in the league it, it does come down to mentality and to effort and to energy and we, we saw all that with Vanderbilt and we didn't see any of it with Nas so Really rough minutes for him. Uh, I am hopeful that he can bounce back. I think he, he showed what he can do. But tonight wasn't a good Nas night, that, that's for sure. Moving on to the, the last point I have here for the negative notes. And that was Ricky Rubio. And it was in that strain, that same stretch of minutes that, that Nas faltered in. That, that Rubio really had a nightmare. I think all game Rubio was... was pretty bad especially compared to the Rubio we're used to seeing and the Rubio that we've seen in previous years um and it kind of just the issues just piled on top of each other with him and Nas out there really playing the worst minutes of the season for that for those two guys and I think Rubio has been very inconsistent for the entire season and hasn't been nearly the type of player that we saw in Phoenix and Utah but this was strangely bad even for the the inconsistent and the the still trying to get into rhythm kind of Ricky Rubio that we've seen this season. Uh, he, he was getting worked by Campazo, man. I know Campazo is very small and he's very quick and he's very shifty and they're the kind of guards that have always bothered Ricky Rubio. But then he just couldn't create anything offensively for himself or for others, which is not something we're used to seeing for Rubio, especially for others. I thought multiple times throughout the game, Ricky made the wrong decisions on a drive, whether it was passing uh, you know, passing when he should shoot or shooting when he should pass. Uh, he even blew the one wide open layup that he did create. It was just, it was not a good Ricky night. And I think it's it's been a weird situation kind of this season for Rubio. For the most part, he has been fairly terrible next to Russell and Russell has been fairly terrible next to him, uh, especially when Towns hasn't been out there with them for the last five games tonight and in the last game against Denver, Russell's looked fantastic when he hasn't been relegated to playing off the ball. Uh, and that kind of makes Ricky an off-ball guy if, if they're playing together. And, and D'Angelo Russell is the the main ball handler and he's getting the lion's share of minutes, bringing the ball up and, and making decisions at the top of the tee out of pick and roll, which is where he's proving to be most effective and where he has been most effective for his entire career. So 
when you when you relegate Ricky off the ball, all of a sudden he kind of loses all of his all of his shine. Rubio's not an off-ball player either. He has never been the shooter. I know he shot well on catch and shoots last season, but it was still uh, on very low volume, and it wasn't. Uh, it was kind of in, in actions where where he and Booker, or, and the season before he he and Donovan Mitchell would would be working in tandem and running handoffs and and, and kind of running weave action, and instead of just you know pure pick and roll uh, isolation kind of play by Russell, where Rubio just stands there. That, that's not his game. And, and then, you know, the, the natural progression there is to just bring him off the bench and to have him as pretty much a backup point guard, a full-time backup point guard. And then he doesn't look as confident in himself. He, he didn't look as confident in, in himself with Phoenix when he was the backup point guard. Uh, it, it's just a, a thing with some players. I think we saw it with Wancho tonight. We saw it with Dario Saric when he was here that some players just perform better when they're giving, given the role as a starter. And I think that's Ricky Rubio. And I also think that he needs to be a backup for this team to be successful because we've seen when they've been playing their best the last few games, when, when their max player, D'Angelo Russell, is playing his best, it's when Ricky's off the floor. Uh, and, you know, then then he's a bench guy and then he has to, to give a good chunk of his ball handling usage to Anthony Edwards because we all want Anthony Edwards to to get more of the ball and to be involved in more pick and roll and to get going downhill towards the rim a little bit more. And that just kind of, you know, relegates Ricky again to another weird kind of role that he's never been in. And he just seems a little bit lost at the moment, which sucks because we know how much he can impact the game when he's feeling himself. So, you know, you're hoping that he figures, figures out a way to get himself going as these games roll on and to adjust to being a backup point guard or adjust to being a guy who can play off the ball and who can who can cut to the rim and, and and make plays in second side pick and roll action it's just it's a strange situation right now for Ricky and it's it's a strange situation for Ryan Saunders who has to try and manage this situation and it's it's a weird one for the for the front office who are paying him 17 million dollars to to kind of just float through games at the moment and never really provide too much spark and tonight when he's he's getting burned defensively it it makes matters even worse because that's the one thing you've always been able to count on for Ricky is that he's going to provide a lot of effort quick hands pest mentality defensively and tonight he wasn't that either so I expect better from Ricky I think we'll see better he's been a good player for a long time an impactful player for a long time it's just he seems to be having a little, a few speed humps at the moment and, and trying to work himself into this weird new role. So tonight, I think it was it was only right that he was in the negative notes because even though I do trust him and I, and I think that he will sort himself out and, and, and find a role where he can be a winning basketball player on this team, tonight he wasn't. And uh, yeah, for that, for that we, we got him in the negative notes. Uh, let's, let's take a quick... Great. I think we're gonna to have to put an ad in here, and then uh, and then we will come back with the, with the good stuff. You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. Moving on. Back to the good stuff. I know tonight was another loss. It was another disappointing night. It's... It's hard to to take solace in moral victories at the moment, but but that's where we are. Where we are is is good things happen, you know, mentally for us when we're not when this team isn't getting blown out. And there was some really good things tonight that I thought included ball movement, the, the player movement at times, you know, especially during that second and third quarter. The adjustments from Ryan Saunders, who I've been harsh on for a long time with Saunders, but I thought. The adjustments from previous games were good for him tonight. I thought he he might have rolled with a few guys a little bit too long, uh, namely um, Nas and Ricky, who we just spoke about. But but for the good the good notes tonight, I want to focus on three individuals. Uh, first up, I think you got to give credit where credit's due, and that's Juan Johan and Gomez. He was fantastic, and I just think that you have to have to acknowledge that he was fantastic as much as we've not acknowledged that he's been terrible to start this season. Um, admittedly, he, he died off a little in the second half after dropping 21 points and, and hitting five threes in the first 24 minutes of the game. But that was clearly the best game of his season and, and potentially the best game of his entire career. I think Wancho is clearly a confidence player. He's one of those guys that needs to see the ball go through the net multiple times and then and then things start to click for him and I think the Wolves this Wolves team has a lot of those guys which is an entire discussion to itself which which is a both a good thing and a bad thing because when those guys aren't firing it, it becomes a bit of a shit show but tonight Wancho found his swag and he found that rhythm and then he was moving off the ball he was finding pockets of space to shoot from and then he was launching like a guy who was shooting 40% from three rather than somebody shooting under 25%. On top of that, he started to dive to the rim again like we saw in his Minnesota stint last year. And then he was making the shots around the rim, which we didn't see last year. Where He was always, he was always a good cutter in his 14-game stretch last season, but, but really not a good finisher. And tonight, he finished really well. He was patient. He had that one play where he, he hit the spin and the drop step and the, and the up and under move, which was just... So crisp and, and and so clean and something that that we've never seen from him during his time with the Timberwolves, and then lo and behold, shockingly, he he even made some really solid defensive plays. I thought he was far better than his usual massive negative tonight defensively, and and obviously he still wasn't a great defender and he wasn't a guy who was locking dudes up out there, but he was making the right play more often than not and way more often than he has been this season. So. You've got to give Wancho credit for that. I think if, if he can build on this, he might be able to win some fans back and, and maybe even win the Timberwolves some games. They they obviously need a power forward. It's the big talking points, what everyone talks about when they when they look at this rotation and, and particularly the starting lineup. And Hernan Gomez is meant to be that guy. He's supposed to be that guy. And for $7 million annually, you want him to be that dude. So let's hope that this is the beginning of that. I you know, have my reservations whether it is. But as I said, that, that Wancho is a confidence player and he needs 
he needed to have a game like this, especially against his old team, against his, uh, you know, a lot of friends over there. I'm fairly confident that he can at least get back to to passable level. I don't. He's obviously not going to score in the mid twenties every game and and come out and make really good defensive plays and finish around the rim like he did tonight. But if he can get back to a guy who's at least a, a you know average power forward and a, and a low end starter. That's going to be huge for this team, especially in Carl Anthony Towns' absence. Uh, moving on, second positive note is obviously you knew this one was coming. Uh, this one put a smile on my face. I've been I've been beating the Jared Vanderbilt drum from the moment he arrived from Denver, and it was just so fun to watch him break out tonight against his old team. Obviously, it didn't culminate in a win. It, it really would have been sweet if it did, but but Vanderbilt earned his way into into the rotation tonight. I'd be shocked if he wasn't a, a permanent fixture in this rotation, at least till Carl Anthony Towns is back, and and if not from then onwards, still in the in the rotation. Vanderbilt is energy. That that's what he is. He's he's like a thunderstorm. He's he's destructive and he's beautiful. And, and tonight we were able to watch that stir, that storm just whirl through Denver. He, he was the sole reason that Minnesota were able to get out of that early game slump that they started in. He, he had that dive to the rim and, and lob catch from D'Angelo Russell that, that got him going. And that, that was just minutes, seconds after he checked into the game for the first time. And then he immediately followed that up by picking Nikola Jokic, Jokic's pocket and, and feeding Malik Beasley on the break. He just came in and injected this team with some life and with some energy and, and with some pizzazz. And that's what's going to earn him minutes. It's he's not always the most skilled guy. He's he's sometimes all over the place, and he sometimes is making you know rookie mistakes. And and he really is just a rookie. He's played less than forty games for his career, and and never been a rotation guy in Denver or Minnesota. So you can you can effectively count him as a rookie the way he's going to play and the way he's going to enter. You know, being in an actual rotation for 15, 20, 25 minutes a night. But I just think the the best part about his game tonight was that he didn't just stop with that first run. Every time he checked back in, he brought that same energy. In a way, he reminds me of rookie season Josh Okoji. It's just unfiltered energy. Now, like Josh, I think he's he's going to have to learn to harness it better at times and to channel it into into more winning plays rather than just hustle plays. Uh, but you'd rather have someone that you have to tone down than, than a guy you have to ramp up. And it's it's so easy to see Vanderbilt pushing his way into minutes for the rest of the season from tonight's showing. The, that never-ending rebounding presence and the defensive playmaking is so, so needed on this team, especially without Towns and, and, and even when Towns is back. He, he does make defensive mistakes, but he makes up for it by playing with energy and playing with with heart and wanting to do the right thing on every defensive possession. And this team doesn't have enough of those guys. The only guy who is like that is Josh Okoge. And it, it will be fun to see those two on the court tonight, uh, on the court together. I think Okoge's not far from coming back. Uh, I think Vanderbilt's pretty much cemented in a, in a rotation spot, and those guys are going to have a lot of fun together, I think, just kind of running amok defensively. He's still raw. He's going to have mistakes. He obviously the, the free throw shooting, as I as I touched on a little bit earlier, is pretty ugly, and and you're going to need him to finish more of those, especially as a guy who's who's going to dive to the rim a ton. But it's just it's fun to see that that blossom, and 
kind of mixing this in with my last point is is how well he and Dan Joe Russell look together as a partnership, as a pick and roll partnership specifically. Uh, you need to find these weird little partnerships throughout a season that work. And sometimes they're not always the partnership you thought was going to work at the start of the season. I, I'm sure that Ryan Saunders didn't think he'd be playing Jared Vanderbilt 25 minutes in a game, you know, in, in game seven. But that's where we're at and, and you need to make adjustments. I thought the adjustment might have came a little bit too late. It might have came a few games too late from Saunders, but he made it tonight. And for Russell, it, it's it's what he thrives on. He He's always going to be someone who needs a guy who sets good screens and who dives to the rim with purpose. Not just dives to the rim for the sake of diving to the rim because that's what you do after you set a screen. But Vanderbilt sprints to the rim and with his head up and he's trying to get into space and get into a passing lane. And that's what Russell needs. And I think tonight you, you saw that from Russell. You saw how much crisper and how much more willing to move the ball quickly Russell looks uh, out of pick and roll when he has a guy like that, uh, and that guy's Vanderbilt. And Russell's a great offensive fit with Cap, but he needs a Vanderbilt. He needs a guy who's just going to put pressure on the rim time and time again. And we have to see more of that in the future. And and as I, you know, you probably guessed by now that the last point that I had tonight was D'Angelo Russell's game, the last individual guy that I wanted to point out. Uh, to me, this was the best game we've seen from Russell in a Timberwolves jersey. Yeah, he, he didn't steal the headlines from Wancho or from Vando, but that's why I loved it. There was no over-dribbling or over-isolating. There was just smart decisions all night long. When he needed to shoot, he shot, and he made them. I mean, he finished with 33 points on 10 of 21 shooting, 4 of 9 from 3, and then when he wasn't shooting, he passed. He passed early, and he passed often. He finished with 11 assists. He probably should have had more. He consistently looked to get his teammates involved early and get into the offense early. And, and that's just a great sign for Minnesota because I think that the complaints that have been flooding through about Russell were, were mainly centered around his over-dribbling and not looking to get others involved and kind of putting up bad shots. I thought tonight there was maybe two, three mid-range shots max that I thought were, were ill-advised from D'Angelo Russell. The rest were all shots within the flow of the offense and the flow of the offense that he started. And then when that shot wasn't there, he moved the ball quickly. He, he let someone else do it. He moved, he cut, he he created sets rather than trying to be the, the offensive set. And I just think that the the second half of that, that last game against Denver was the springboard that he needed. He needed a springboard game, and this was the full 36-minute version of that springboard that he got in that game against Denver. Uh, so I was just... I thought he was he was fantastic tonight, Russell. Uh, I even thought that defensively he wasn't that massive negative like we've been seeing. Obviously, I don't think he'll ever be good defensively and he's never going to change a game with his defensive prowess. But what what you need from Russell is what you got tonight and that's just a guy who's not getting targeted every possession. He's not getting burned every time he's put into an action defensively. He's just, he's just there kind of, you know, on the on the the line of mediocre as a defender, and that's it's it's a sad thing to kind of hope for, I guess. But especially from from your max player, but that's what you need to hope for from Russell because when he's doing what he did tonight offensively, he really does make up for it, and you can really see the makings of a max player and the makings of a guy who can lead you to a win. And I thought that that those three guys, Wancho, Vanderbilt, and Russell, they all deserve to be specifically praised individually because. They were fantastic, and they were the reason why Minnesota were in this game. Uh, I think there was 
there was a lot of good things in this game for for a scoreline that didn't favour Minnesota to finish with. But I just think that they got out-talented in the end. Uh, there's that saying, you know, it's not about the size of the dog. It's about the, the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. And tonight I thought Minnesota had a lot of fight. But in the end, the size of the dog does matter sometimes. And, and Minnesota came up against the big dog. They came up against the big dog of the Western Conference, uh, the reigning Western Conference finalists. And they just got out-talented when it meant the most. Uh, and when the game was really on the line, Nikola Jokic, you know, one of the league's premier players and the best big man in the league, he he came to play and he and he put his foot down and Minnesota just didn't have the talent to, to stop that. And I don't think that that's an indictment. When this team doesn't have towns around, it's, it's not an indictment that they got beaten or they got out-talented by a good team like Denver. What I do think is that with towns there, this result's probably different. And I think maybe even the last game's result's probably different because Towns is that stabilizer and that, that run breaker and the guy who can stop teams from going on 17 to 2 runs at the end, at the start of a fourth quarter. So in the end, I, I think moral victories are kind of what we're clinging on to at the moment. Unfortunately, that's not overly pleasing. And I understand that, that a lot of fans who have kind of been kicked in the teeth time and time again throughout the this franchise's history, they don't want moral victories, but right now that's what that's what we're clinging on to, and I think they're definitely building towards a team that can steal a game or two or three uh, without Towns. It's a far cry from the team that was getting blown out by forty points three nights in a row uh, just uh, just a week or two ago. So it, it's tough, but I think I think we're getting there, and I think that the the next game against Portland on Thursday is a, a really good test. Portland have been pretty average this season and have the the profile of a team that Minnesota could beat and could upset. So looking forward to that. But for tonight, we'll leave it at that. And as I, as I say every time, thanks for sticking along with me. Um, I've, I've really had a blast doing these podcasts and I think that hopefully you guys can, are enjoying the, the solo pods as much as you're enjoying the, the one with some of my great guests. So... Yeah, thanks guys, and I'll I'll see you after the next game.